0: Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening and hanging out with me here today. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. And what do I know? Well, in late 2018, I was diagnosed with oropharyngeal cancer and I went on to have a third of my tongue removed both tonsils of the tumour 30 lymph nodes and 30 chemo radiotherapy sessions I also had a peg tube feed for 15 months and ate nothing orally in that time so grab your favorite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started Hello, thank you for joining me. Welcome to episode 23 of the No Feeding Tube Show. I'm your host Yvonne McLaren and judging by the feedback that I got around social eating and, and the how-to, I thought today's episode I would do part two of that how to eat out socially. But I'm going to do a bit of a twist on it today because I'm going to refer to something that I've just done recently. And although it's eating out socially, this was for me in a professional setting and I was away from my kitchen for five days. So... At the time of recording this, we're about a couple of weeks away from World Head Neck Cancer Day, and that falls on the twenty seventh of July. And I will publish this episode on the Monday. Uh, what does that make it? The twenty fifth, sixth, seventh? Yes, the twenty fifth uh, of July. So today, I want to talk about not only World Head & Neck Cancer Day awareness but how to eat out socially, part two. Uh, with World Head and Neck Cancer Day falling on the 27th of July, um, one of the biggest impacts, I think, that doesn't get enough recognition, notwithstanding all the stuff that we go through in terms of treatment and the side effects of treatment and radiation and surgery and whatever else we've had done, is the impact of grief. And by grief, uh, I don't necessarily mean the grief of cancer and will it come back, although that's a big part of it. I want to talk about the grief of food loss and the fact that not often, if ever, in my experience, and please, I'm always, always, always prepared to be corrected here, but I don't think we talk enough about grief with food loss. Uh, it's called well it's called commensality and it's called domestic commensality, which basically means that social interaction of eating food with family, just being home and, and doing it that way, domestic commensality. And I think every each and every one of us goes through food grief, because we just simply cannot eat what we used to, how we used to, and it affects everything in our life. And I don't believe personally that there is enough emphasis on the effect that that has on on patients going forward after the treatment notwithstanding all the stuff that you've got to go through before you even get to this point of recognizing that you've got food grief and for me that came a number of years after my healing and my treatment I I couldn't put my finger on why I was um, struggling so much and it was because I was grieving my food and I'm, you know, um, qualified foodie person, chef. Uh, I've been in and around food all my life, and I grew up with it, and I missed it. You know, that was a real, that was a real thing for me. And I think on World Head and Neck Cancer Day, we need more recognition around the psychological fallout of what happens to us after head and neck cancer treatment. You know, it's it's not just about the disease, and it's not just about Uh, the treatment that we undergo. And as we know, we're all so different in terms of how we and what we can eat going forward. Um, And that is, as I'm finding out, is quite dependent on what sort of treatment you've had. So how to eat at work, part two. (laughs) Um, One of the things that happens is that we don't have access to positive... Uh, food activity after head and neck cancer treatment all those little things that we took for granted picking up platters absent-mindedly whilst cutting up vegetables that's the thing I really miss is eating raw vegetables when I'm food prepping now you know I used to put a little bit of carrot or a little bit of celery or a bit of I was one of those weird people that loved raw potato Um, I miss being able to put the veg It's making me sad. It's making me a bit teary. I miss being able to put raw vegetables in my mouth because despite my best efforts to chew it up and swallow it, I will inevitably find it um, many hours later or in some cases days later. Uh, so, you know, it removes us um, from positive food activity. And I happen to think that being able to taste and... and eat little bits as you're cooking and preparing food is a positive food activity. And eating with others and talking and and holding a a meaningful conversation whilst you're eating. (laughs) Forget that. That's not happening either. So it removes us from societal living. And I think this World Head and Neck Cancer Day focus needs to be as much as the treatment and all the other palaver that comes with it is how do we manage the psychological fallout? How do we acknowledge the grief of food loss? How do we help people live their best food life after head and neck cancer treatment, which is what I'm all about. And for those that have followed me for a while and know me, know that this whole process about enabling people, no matter what's happened to you with head and neck cancer treatment, enabling you to live your best possible food life. And that's going to be different for every one of us. It's different for me, from you, to that person, to the person on the other side of the world, to people who've had entire voice boxes removed, to tongues removed, to teeth removed, to bits of their neck, to bits of their forearm, their shin, their calf muscle, whatever has happened to you, each and every one of us is going to have a different food grief and a different food journey. And I honestly believe that we need to focus on ensuring that people have the best food life that they can possibly have after treatment, because that grief is real. You know, the reality is Many of us are not going to get much better after about four or five years. I'm still living experience and proof of that. I don't know whether I'm getting better or not. I think I am. But anyway, I need to talk to you about what I'm going to talk about in this episode, which is how to eat at work part two. Um, I could talk a lot about uh, food grief, but I might leave that for another one. So in this how to eat at work part two, Here's something, that, and I'm going to base this on what's happened to me. And there are three things that I discovered that I needed to do to make sure that this um, activity for me was this it was as successful as it possibly could be. And what it was for me was I was in my hometown, but I had to go and stay uh, in a hotel down by the beach to. Um, participate in our national conference where people from all over Australia came to sit um, and listen to uh, recycling, basically. And that meant that I was away from my own kitchen and the ability to prepare food for myself for... uh, You know, it was nearly four or five days in the end. Now, I hadn't done that since uh, diagnosis and treatment, which was in my case four years ago, and I was getting really worked up about. It. I thought, God, how am I going to do this? You know, how do you? Where do you even start to explain to somebody, people, strangers? Uh, you know, and in my case, I'm talking two hundred and fifty strangers in a room that don't know me, don't know my story, let alone the internal staff of which many I hadn't met because of COVID. We've been doing Zoom and online stuff, so no one really knew me. Uh, I mean, you can hear in my voice that I've got tongue issues and, and, and audible speaking issues and whatnot, but many people didn't know what was going on. So to manage snacks, morning, lunch, dinner, drinks... Talking and doing this professionally for me, and I suddenly realized I was getting really anxious about this and I was scared, I was fearful. What you know, I mean, and really, the reality was, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen in this scenario, Yvonne? And when I thought about it, I thought, well, I might go hungry, you know, but the reality was. I go and get a big mug of beautiful Italian espresso and chuck a whole heap of cream in it. That will give me my calories and that will stop me being hungry. Uh, now, whether or not I could find or have access to that was another matter, but I think uh, eating in a professional sense. I'm also going to talk about travel down the future um, because I think that stops a lot of us heading at cancer treatment treatment people doing things. I think it limits us and I think it limits the way that we think and the activity that we undertake. Um, So what did I do? I thought, right, I'm going to be away for these amount of days, these meal times and these are the social scenarios that I'm going to be in around people I didn't know, uh, a new chief executive officer. New staff members, members of our organisation. I had to sit next to people at dinners. People were asking me about wine because they knew I had a background in wine and I do have a background in wine. Um, And I thought, how am I going to manage all this? So, what I did, here's what I did I wrote down a little list. In I I write a book every morning, a little journal, and I sit before everything else happens in the day and I write down in that morning journal, I call it, uh, things that I'm grateful for, things that I love and um, just sort of talk about things openly, uh, you know, what's the worst case scenario and really what does that mean and then what does that mean? So I drill down with things and really try to find why I might be apprehensive or fearful about doing certain things around food. And I worked out that I was just really basically scared. Um, oh, in the middle of all this, I was also asked to uh, MC a networking evening in front of everybody with a microphone. Um, So, you know, I had a few things I had to think about, uh, notwithstanding my speech, my breathing, my food, and how was I going to manage all these different meal times in these four or five days that I was away from my kitchen. So, I recognized that a lot of it was just fear. I was scared. I didn't know what I was walking into. And I just went, well, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, Yes, I could choke. Yes, I could choke at a table in the middle of everything. Uh, That might be a bit embarrassing, but it also might be life-threatening. So, um, you know, I had all those things weighing on my mind and in the back of my mind. So what I did was I let the conference organisers know about my dietary requirements. And the first thing I said to them was, I need soup available Every single meal time, whether, regardless of whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or snacks, I need to have soup available in the hotel for me to access at every meal time. Now, I knew what was going to happen; I was going to get the one soup. Repeat, plus you know, press play, repeat, play, repeat, which is kind of what happened in the end. Um, but that's okay. Uh, If, like me, I'm not a water person, I really dislike having water with my food. I know it's a necessity and I know uh, that it is useful, not only for me but for others. I just personally don't like it. I don't like the texture and the flavour of drinking water with my meals. I have to get over that sometimes because some meals are really difficult, but instead of using water, I often have soup, which is what I asked for. Uh, which is what I got. And I also said to the conference organisers, a soft diet mainly, but as we know, uh, what did I have the other day? Oh, polenta, couldn't get it down. So even though we ask for soft food, it's really difficult to communicate the type of texture of the food that we need individually to get food down if we have trouble with chewing Uh, with jaw issues, teeth issues, tongue issues, and swallowing, which quite often the water will um, aid in that, and I call them water or soup chasers. So that's what I did. I talked to the conference organisers about what I was doing. I'm going to be there all this time, and I need soup available for every single meal, regardless of whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner. The other thing I did when I got there, uh, because as you may discover, people—and by people I mean people who work in kitchens, chefs, commis chefs, um, head of catering, um, head of staff in banqueting, or what—who or whatever it is—they um, don't really get it. They, you know, you, you can sort of say, "Look, I've got dysphagia, which is a, a difficulty in swallowing." Uh, But here's the thing for me, Um, in our exhibition trade area, we had a buffet set up. There was two buffets set up for 250 people, plus a dietary buffet down the other end where the gluten-free, the vegetarians and me, uh, our food was put uh, for us to access it away from the other buffets, which makes sense and that's normal, that's common practice. But of course, because I wasn't aware of what was coming in on the buffet every day, I'd go through before everybody else got there and look and see and go, "Oh, I can eat that. I can eat that, and I can eat that." Now that totally utterly confused the kitchen staff because I had told them I can only eat a soft diet, and I need soup available, which they dutifully made for me every single day. So they got a bit confused when they could see that I was eating couscous, because one day they created this beautiful lamb tagine uh, with couscous and I could eat it. And I know I can eat lamb because I've researched it and I eat it all the time and it had lots of sauce. There was no chilli and it was soft and I could manage it with the couscous. The only thing I had to do was go back out to the kitchen and ask them to give me a big dish of Greek yogurt which they should have in my opinion should have served with it anyway but it was probably a cost issue there were papadams which I used as a transitional food way back when Um, and if you don't know what a papadam is it's those big wafers made out of lentils um, that you get in Indian cooking and they're like a church wafer they dissolve so I use that to scoop up the lamb tijin i put a blob of yogurt on it and off you go. And anything I couldn't get down, guess what? The the kitchen came out with a bowl of soup and I sat quietly in the corner somewhere on my own with some water and my soup and I sat there and I ate it. So that's what I did. Talked to the kitchen as well. I went into the kitchen on a number of occasions and um, there was one thing I wasn't very successful with and that was a um, a prosciutto-wrapped... Uh, chicken breast that came with a slice of polenta and some vegetables. I I really didn't manage the chicken very well. I ended up getting them to send it up to my room. I had it up there in the privacy of my room. I asked them to bring up a bowl of soup as well. So I I did sit there and I did get through it, Um, but it was tricky. And I, I wouldn't have been able to do that in a round table setting whilst talking to other people, I would have had to have ordered something else or just gone with soup probably and maybe the slice of polenta and been done with it. So knowing the menu in advance, this is something that I didn't do and I I should have asked about knowing the menu in advance, Um, talking to the kitchen and talking to the event organisers about what your issues are and I always, always, always ask for soup no matter what the time of the day it is. The other thing that I did and I noticed, we, you know, you have um, a room accommodation and a meal thrown in at the same time. So when I went down to the restaurant in the mornings, again, buffet, I could see everything. Um, I totally avoided all the mueslis and the toast uh, and the fruit a little bit. Um, I ended up eating uh, hash browns. Who knew? I can eat hash browns and I can eat poached soft runny poached eggs they were better than the actual omelettes that the chef was making to order and with the omelettes that they were making to order I made sure that there was I don't do mushrooms very well anymore sadly I don't do herbs very well unless I'm in the privacy of my own home so in this um, example, I just asked the chef to put a bit of cheese in it. No bacon, no ham because I couldn't do any of that. And there was one, oh, tomato. I had some tomato in mine. Cheese and tomato in an omelette. That was kind of okay. But it wasn't as easy as the soft-boiled eggs that came out in the big bain maries. One day they had hollandaise sauce there. yippity doo I plopped that on the plate as well. I had a hash brown. They had smoked salmon there. I picked up the smoked salmon and had that as well. Uh, And on the last day, I discovered they had a pancake machine. Well, guess what? I could manage the pancakes. They had a massive bowl of whipped cream there. Um, So all in all, for me, it was a really good experience. I got enough food. There was a barista, a coffee cart in the conference area. Uh, I managed to have coffee. Um, they brought out the soup. They were a bit confused about me being able to eat some of the things off the buffet. But again, it was a brilliant opportunity for me to look at things that I don't normally try because I don't buy them or I don't have them in my own kitchen. And can I manage it? Yeah, great. I can. I've just added to my food repertoire. Uh and I always had water with me pretty much. I was just constantly slugging water back to um clean my mouth out, and quite often I'd just nip up to my room and or go somewhere quietly into the to the ladies' toilets or bathroom and clean my teeth out, make sure they were okay, rinse my mouth uh, but you know eventually I got there uh, I did talk to people about what had happened to me. Uh, we were out on site in the middle of a industrial dumping site. Uh, food had to be trucked in, a barbecue food. I couldn't eat anything off that barbecue catering truck except for there was a soft pasta salad from memory, spiral pasta. There was a little bit of um, potato salad which had a lot of mayonnaise and sauce on it so I could manage that. And uh, I couldn't manage any of the meat, and uh, I don't remember what else I ate. Um, I think maybe I had a, a full fat coffee that particular day. So as <clears> a <throat> second thing, talk to the um, event organizers, talk to the actual venue. actually go in and talk to the kitchen. Don't feel uh, embarrassed or ashamed about frying up to the kitchen and actually talking to the kitchen staff. Talk to them. Show them. I showed them my scar. I showed them what was happening with me. I made them hear my voice. Uh, I talked to them about the treatment. I talked to them about what had been removed, what I still had, what I stri- And in the end, I became quite good friends with them, and they all knew me. And they, I got better service than everyone else. In the end, <laughs> it was fabulous. It was really good. The last thing I would say to you um, is deal with the anxiety. I know I was really anxious about this whole trip and I needn't have been because people are really um, empathetic and they're forgiving, um, mostly. And if they don't know, you can tell whether they're interested in hearing your story and uh, I'm just not embarrassed about it. Now, I I do tend to tell people what's happened to me and why I struggle with certain food items. So that is eating out socially and some of the things that I did to make that process a bit easier for me away from home. One last thing I did do, I took the wrong toothbrush with me. I took a toothbrush that I used to use uh, Three head and neck cancer treatment days, big mistake. It was way too hard and I should have taken my soft one. So make sure that you pack with the appropriate toothbrush if you're going to be away from your home. And that sounds like common sense, but I just wasn't thinking with everything else that was going on. So um, notify the organisers, talk to the venue, don't feel embarrassed about going in and talking to the kitchen staff about what it is that you need Often when they eyeball you and they can see that you're having trouble either announcing um, words or syllables or letters, breathing, you can hear my breathing. I I find I stop breathing when I drink water or wine or whatever. I've got to drink then breathe and deal with anxiety. Um, Recognise it for what it is. Excuse me. And... Work out what, what's, what's really causing that anxiety. Is it embarrassment? Is it choking hazard? Is it, um, you know, not being able to access things that you would normally access? Really work out what it is and address it. And you know what? It's going to be okay. You, you're going to get through it and you're going to make it happen. You will because you're the more you push those boundaries, the better you get at it. So that's the end of today's episode. Uh World Head and Neck Cancer Day, on July twenty seven. And in celebration of that, I think we need to really focus on some of the food grief and the psychological fallout of head and neck cancer treatment. And um I think You know, people really struggle with this food grief and it stops us doing things. It stops us doing positive food activity and I think that's a really big issue. If you're having some difficulties and you want to know how I do things and how I manage to leave my home for five days and go and stay in a hotel without any auxiliary help, uh, I talk about all this in my Mind Food Body program or method of which there are three variations for you you can have use the basic the premium excuse me um or the plus so eat well continue to eat well everybody Um, let me know in the comments below if you're watching this on youtube what trick you've done, or something that you've absolutely nailed as a result of going out and eating socially? And I think the more we share these experiences and talk about them, it's such a broad and it's so different for everybody. You've got to make sure you've got the pain under control. You've got to make sure that you're physically fit enough. You've got to make sure that your immune system is ready to rock and roll. You've got to make sure that, you know, this tooth isn't hurting or that bit of your tongue isn't hurting or your left big toe isn't hurting because they amputated it too. you know create something else whatever it is you can be living your best food life and I think there's a really holistic way to approach it and with world head and neck cancer day let's celebrate it let's acknowledge each other let's support each other and um, I for one am all for recognizing people's food grief it's real It affects each and every one of us in different ways. And I want to make sure that you are living your absolute best food life. So until next episode, everybody, eat well. And we'll see you and speak to you then. Thanks for being with me today here. Okay, see you later. Bye.